Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. As we look at our scriptures this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. And my question to you is, are you ready to walk on water? Are you ready to walk on water? Now, I have been at the beach before and thought I saw a shark or a big nasty man-of-war jellyfish, and I felt like I was walking on water when I was trying to run out of the, run out of the, the shore. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can't literally walk on water, but we can walk above those things that seek to sink us and drown us like water does. You see, of all the miracles and feats and healings, that Jesus demonstrated. Walking on the water has to be in the top ten list. For years, movies have uh, used special effects. Television shows have used special effects. And I even remember when we were at a church in Spartanburg, we did a, a passion play, and they actually went to the expense of, of rigging up a, an effect that made it look like that Jesus was walking on the water. And it was, it was pretty cool to see all that go on. But again, that was just trickery. That was sleight of hand. That was a, you know, eye, eye trick. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all would like to walk above what's going around in our world sometimes. And the thing is that I'm not going to try to do a demonstration here by walking across the baptismal filled with water because you all know that I am certainly not Jesus and certainly that I would sink, right? And you and I may never walk on water in the physical sense, but we have all walked above the wind and the waves and the waters that are trying to consume us and our faith. And to be honest with you, you and myself and many of us here, we've got our church faces on, but if we were to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, some of us are treading water and for different situations. But the thing is, is that there is one other person that walked on water, and his name was Peter, the disciple Peter, who went out to meet Jesus on the water. And while his time walking on the water was brief, Peter's time walking on the water was brief, we can learn a lesson about faith today. We can learn a lesson that can help us accomplish a life-changing outlook on our lives. So just a little bit of background before we jump into the text. I think it's important when you're reading the Bible is that when you, when you have your main text, sometimes it, it works to go a few verses or sections before and just kind of see where it came in. Have you ever walked up in on a conversation and you missed like half of it? And then when you walk up, it sounds kind of awkward, you know, it's because you don't have any context. So if we were to look at context for our scripture today, before we join Jesus and the disciples on the water, let's take a moment and get some context for this miracle. See, Jesus had been teaching many parables on the significance of what the kingdom of God meant and his father's desire, God's desire for all who would accept him, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, that all who would accept Jesus would come into this kingdom. And so Jesus is teaching and he uses parables of soils and weeds and seeds and yeast and hidden treasures and a pearl and a fishing net. All of these trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And each and every example unfolded God's plan of salvation and redemption. Then he returns to Nazareth. He returns to his hometown only to find that most people in his hometown say, ah, 
he, he, he's, a, he's a kook. He's just a son of a carpenter. I've seen him and his brothers and sisters around, and he's nothing special. And so Jesus himself said about that. He said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his family. So you know what happened? This caused Jesus to do less miracles in his hometown because he knew they wouldn't believe him anyway. So he has been teaching and teaching. He went home. His home folks are not taking him seriously. And then he hears the news that his best friend, his best friend, John the Baptist, was killed. No, not just killed, murdered, executed, because he took a stand against Herod, telling him that he shouldn't have married his wife because there was a lot of, of weird things going on that. We can read into that and see that later. It's a, it's a great story. But John stood up for God's word and said, look, Herod, you shouldn't do that. Well, his wife got mad. And then pulled the daughter into it. And then all of them worked together to get a plan to get John killed. So when it came time for John, he was beheaded. And the king had no other options but to go through with his word. So here we have John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ that is now killed. So he has taught many lessons. He has gone home and got no rest. He finds out that his best friend has been killed. The thing is, Jesus wanted to seek rest from the, from the pace he was taking. So he continues to move and he gets into a boat and he goes to the shore. And then all of a sudden, people are following him. He still can't get a break. So over 5,000 men and their families, so it could have been anywhere from ten to 15,000 people, are there just wanting to hear more about Jesus. And the disciples say, well, Jesus, we got to do something because these people are hungry. And you know how Christians get when they get hungry. It ain't good. So Jesus says, you know, the disciples say, we need to send them away. Jesus says, no, i got another trick for you. i got another lesson for you. Then they find somebody that's got a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and it feeds that whole group. So, I mean, Jesus, I just wanted you to see that Jesus has been going nonstop until he gets to this point. Have you ever felt like that? Do you feel like that every morning you wake up, all of a sudden, the weight of what you went to sleep with is back on you before you can even catch your breath out of the bed? Do you feel like even right now, as I'm talking about it, the hair on the back of your neck is standing straight up? And you say, well, I didn't want to deal with any of this other day. Some of you might be fine and dandy. And please, if you are, God bless you and give me your secret. But we all have stressors. We all have life. We all have things that are happening in our life, whether it be what someone else is doing, how we're helping someone else, whether it be our health, our wealth, or whatever it may be. We all have things that are on us. And I want you to be able to understand that Jesus identifies with you, and you can identify with Jesus. Jesus was so busy at this point. So what I wanted you to do is I wanted you to place yourself in the Scripture. And I share the background with you to put into context the pace that Jesus was keeping this morning. So with that said, let's go to our passage this morning. And we see the first thing is, is there are no coincidences with Jesus. There are no coincidences with Jesus. It's not karma. It's not fate. It's not chance. But it is the sovereign hand of a loving God that is upon us. 
And when we see this, we see in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 25, it says, Immediately, immediately after this, so this is when, immediately after feeding 5,000 men and, and their families, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. I can imagine that Jesus probably had to pull the disciples by their ears to get them in the boat because they're like, hey man, we, we had just a few fish and a few loaves. This is great. Let's keep giving it out. This is awesome. This is great. And Jesus says, no, let me pull you back. We, we've got to withdraw. We've got to pull it back. And so it says in verse 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell and he was there all alone. What we see here, Jesus is modeling, is that you must make your relationship with Jesus or your relationship with God a priority. You must make your relationship with God a priority because even Jesus is modeling that. You see, you will make time to spend with those people you love. You will make time to do the habits you enjoy. You will make time to do the, the recreation and, and the other things that you want to do. You will make time for that. So why do we find it so hard to make time for God? Is it because we love things more than we love God? People say, oh no, I'm preaching, we're in church. We're not going to say that. But we all battle with that. There's always going to be a battle for the throne of your heart where God resides. And there's always going to be something that seeks to take that place. And they're not always bad things. It's not just sex, drugs, or rock and roll. Sometimes it could be good things. It could be family. It could be needs. It could be health. It could be all of these things. You've got to be careful not to let something sneak in and take that. You see, praying and seeking God only in the troubled times is not making God a priority. If the only time you get on your knees is when he makes you get on your knees, it's not a relationship. You have a using relationship with God. You use him every time you need him. God will always be there for you, my friend, whether you are are with him and seeking him 24-7 or whether you're one of those foxhole Christians where when you're in the middle of the foxhole and the bombs and the bullets are flying, you are the the most dedicated Christian there is. And it's okay if you're there or in between that. God is still there. God still loves you. And you may feel like God is so far away from you today, but I promise you, he is right with you. He has not moved. God will always be there when you run to him in trouble, but there is so much more he wants to show you other than just getting you out of a crisis. You see, Jesus models for us the need to spend time alone with God. Jesus was struggling with the fact that people were attempting to make him the king, the earthly king. And he's like, this is not my time. This is not my place. This is not the plan. And so he withdraws from all that. And even Jesus knew that if he wanted to find his strength, he needed to spend time alone with his father. He knew that by reading God's word and finding understanding and instruction, and he knew that through prayer he would get to know God's voice. The second thing he shows us is that spending time with Jesus today prepares you for tomorrow. I'll say that one more time. Spending time with Jesus today prepares you for tomorrow. Now, when Don and I were preparing to go on vacation, we needed some luggage and a cooler. 
So we went shopping and found both a piece of luggage and a nice cooler. And Donna wanted to look around for a few more things, so I sat down with that piece of luggage and that cooler. After a few minutes, a man that was sitting beside me in the waiting area, he said, I'm waiting for my wife too, but I never thought about bringing in a lunch and an overnight bag with me. Now, I was prepared. Now, that story, of course, was fictitious. It didn't happen. But I'll tell you the truth is, is preparing, being prepared for trips and being prepared for what's happening. That's what happens when you spend time with Jesus today. It is preparing you for tomorrow. And Jesus models actually how to spend time away with God. He shows us how do you spend time with God? Number one. Get to a place by yourself where you can be yourself. Get to a place by yourself and dedicate yourself to pray, not just for help of getting out of a situation, but for understanding God, loving God and getting to know him. Like I, I tell you what, there are I'd like to say that we do this every night, but we don't. But sometimes we Don and I will just have a meal, even if it's takeout, and we will sit down at our kitchen table. Why? Those of you that have families and have the rare occasion of sitting down at a kitchen table, you will know what I'm talking about. Those of you that were raised at a different time where you sat at the kitchen table every morning, every evening, and every night, know what I'm talking about. That time where you get together and you you reconnect and you talk about life. Folks, sometimes we just have to sit at the table with God and reconnect with Him. Well, the second thing we see in the scriptures is that we need to take courage before you walk on water. Take courage before you walk on water. Verses 23 through 27 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, or some translations say the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came forward then, walking on the water. And it's amazing, when they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. They said, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, which I would be too. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And by the way, when he says, I am here, do you see the semblance of when Moses asked God, who do I tell him sent me when I tell him that I'm leading your people out of Egypt? He said, tell him I am is my name. Jesus says, I am here. Jesus says, I am here. My father's here. Take courage. You see, storms and adversity have one goal. To separate you from your faith in Jesus Christ. That is adversity's goal. We know that violent storms could appear suddenly on the lake or the Sea of Galilee due to the fact that it was surrounded by mountains. So it was like a big cereal bowl. If a wind would get in and start whipping around in that bowl, it would be, you know, automatic, terrible storms on the the waves. And some of the disciples who were in the boat were actually fishermen, and they were scared. I don't know about you, but when I see a fisherman that's scared and I'm on the boat, I'm scared. Because they're supposed to have the training and the knowledge and the ability. But why is that? Why, why do we get fearful? I'll tell you why. Because fear follows our loss of control. Think about the times when you're scared. Fear follows our loss of control. 
whether it be a doctor's appointment or whether it be financial things or a relationship thing or just just things, situations in general that we cannot control. No one likes to feel like they're out of control, whether it be a feeling like if you've ever flown and and the, the, the airplane takes off like in that picture. And the moment those wheels leave the ground, you know, oh, well, <laughs> there's nothing I can do now. Right. Or if you've ever been on a boat and there's no land in sight. That is a sobering feeling. Or maybe you're riding with someone that doesn't know how to drive. That can be sobering as well. Don't look at your neighbor, okay? But the thing is, faith is a muscle. When we flex it, we have to lose control. So let me ask you something. In your life, think about it. And this will be hard for some of you to answer. Would you rather have full control of your life? Or would you rather have the faith that God has got you? Would you rather have full control of your life or have the faith that God has got what's best for you? I'm going to tell you, in my life when I was younger and I was not living for the Lord, I tried to control my own life and I almost ended up in a ditch. I almost ran my life into a ditch because I wanted to have control. But the thing is, is that Jesus is telling us here, Don't be afraid. Take courage, for I am here. Did you know the term don't be afraid occurs in the New Living Translation 71 times? So it's a theme, right? You are not the first person to be afraid, and you won't be the last. And this is a common feeling for everyone that is is human, that is living. Even animals experience fear. Just today, it was kind of funny. We were walking in this door right here, and we... Uh, so the kids noticed up on the, the windowsill, there was a squirrel looking just like this. It did not move. He was like, you do not see me. You, I, I, I'm not here. I'm blending into the brick. Don't act like I'm not even here. So he didn't know what to do. He didn't have anywhere to run. He, he was fearful. He felt that fear. He had no control. So luckily we came in here and he took off and he went and got his, his, uh, whatever he needed. But, The thing is, is that do not let the tension of today's culture make you fearful. My friend, if you're living on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snaps and TikToks and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you are going to feel like this world is out of control. But when you read this, everything makes sense. What's happening today has happened before and it will happen again. And God's word is the same today and tomorrow. And if you were honest, we all have felt that there were times when Jesus was not with us, just like those disciples felt. But Jesus says in those times when we feel like that he's not here, Jesus says, whoa, no, take courage, for I am here. If you think God has forgotten you, my friend, listen, God is here, and he is with you, and he is near, and he says, take courage and follow me. So if you do that, how do you move from control to faith? Well, I'll tell you what. You have to flip the switch. Just like when you walk into a room that's dark and you flip the switch to turn on the lights. You have to flip the switch in your soul, in your mind to say, No, I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to give in to faith. It's a decision that you must make. It's an act of the will. I like the way Charles Stanley says this. He says, The unexpected way God often does things may startle us. Even frighten us. We may not understand why he works in a certain way. 
That is why he continually tells us, do not be afraid, for I am here. Folks, it's not a sin to be afraid. It's a sin to deny Jesus in the midst of that fear. The third thing that we see is that you can walk on water when you keep your eyes on Jesus. You can walk on water when you keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at verses 28 through 32. It says, Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus says. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Can you imagine that? Let's just take a a break here. He's like, of all the people to say, I want to come out and walk to you, it was Peter. Why? Because Peter was the one who acted and then thought about it. You know, we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to, to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? He's a fisherman. And so he pulls the, the, the guardian's sword out and, and whacks off the ear of Malchus. He didn't know how to use the sword. He should have stuck with a fishing pole and a fishing net. But he, 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 was, he just, like I said, he was impulsive. And so here he says, look, Jesus, if it's really you, I want to come to you. He says, okay, come on. And so we see as we read, Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Peter walked on the water just like Jesus. Folks, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are like Jesus. And we have the power of Jesus. And we can walk on top of whatever is trying to drown us. But you see what happened, don't you? And you know what happened. You know the story. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And then it says, Jesus thought about it a little bit and then finally said he'll think about it. No, that's not what the scriptures say. It said, Jesus says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I love the fact that all through the Scriptures, the disciples really fully didn't know who he was until his ascension. They really didn't get it until the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. But what did Peter want? Peter wanted a sign that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Some of you have wanted signs from Jesus. Most people at some point have asked God for a sign over something. I know I have in the past. And I know the Bible says that we're not supposed to put God to the test. But when I think about things, I see that it says, How much more does God have to prove his love for you than to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, in such a horrific way for your sins and mine? Folks, John 3.16. Why do we want to test Jesus? Why do we want to test God when God has already given him, given us the best gift we could have? But if you need a sign for it, go ahead and ask. If you need a sign, go ahead and ask. You see, you don't need to look for cream in your coffee that looks like a picture of Jesus or your doctor to come back with good news or your bank account to overflow. Those are not the signs you look for. Those things are just part of life and life happens. But God speaks to you. How does God speak to people? Do you know? Three ways. Through His Word, through prayer, and through godly people. And when you have something that you're praying about and you want God to speak to you, pray to Him 
Look at his word and talk to godly people because all three of those have to match. Because if you don't put all three of those together, if you pray without God's word and you you don't talk to other people, you are praying selfishly. If you don't pray but you read God's word, you can take it out of context. If you talk to other people but don't pray and read, you're trusting man and not God. All three of those things have to line up. And so when Jesus calls, as we see here, Jesus calls, you need to answer with action, just like Peter did. You must be careful not to look down on Peter. When I was younger and I heard this story, I was like, man, Peter, he was crazy, man, trying to to get out of a good boat just to walk on the water. But think about it. Of all the 12 disciples in that boat, who's the one that showed the most faith? Who was it? Peter. He showed the most faith. How did it work out for him? Not too good in the end. But of all the people alive, he's the only person other than Jesus that has walked on water. And here's the thing that that, that I hope that you can get. You may not literally walk on water, but you have and are and will walk through tough situations. And of all the people in that boat, hear me out. I know you're you're thinking about the pot roast or the, the bag of fast food you're going to get on the way home. But think about this just for a second. Here's here's the aha moment. Peter's act of faith led to experiencing the strength of God's grip. By Peter jumping out on the water and taking faith, nobody in that boat knew the strength of Jesus' grip other than Peter because it says immediately Jesus reached down and saved him. And so the, what I'm saying to you here today in this moment is, yes, you have trials. Yes, you have things that try to overtake you. But my friend, if you cry out to Jesus, you will experience the grip of Jesus as he rescues you. And the reason I can be excited today, and the reason I'm shouting today, and the reason I am proclaiming today is not because I am great, but I have felt the strength of that grip. And you have too. And the only way we can feel that grip is to be in a place where we need it. And where we cry out for it. In that instant, when Peter began to sink, the scripture reads, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him. So in your instant moments, when the world crashes in on you, remember Peter's cry. Save me, Lord. And Jesus did that immediately. Because you will never know the strength of Jesus' grip until he places you in a position to cry out for it. Finally, the storm left, but Jesus and his disciples were still standing. You see, Peter walked on water for a moment, and the other disciples witnessed it. And the storm did not overtake them. My friend, I want to let you know something. When you cry out to Jesus, the storm will not overtake you. You might gulp some water. <laughs> you might have water go over your head. You may feel like that this thing is going to consume you, but my friend, Jesus' grip is all sufficient. It is immediate, and he has got you in his grip. We read here, if you read on in the scripture, it says the storm left, but Jesus and all of the disciples were left alive to serve another day. 
And boy, did they have a story to tell and a lesson to learn. My friend, let me tell you something. If you're not in a storm today, I can smell the rain because there's one coming. We live in a life that's full of storms. That's why our faith must be intact. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And He is our returning King. Are you ready to walk on top or over your storms today? Are you ready to walk on water? Cry out to Jesus. He will strengthen your faith either for the first time or the next time. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our scripture this morning, for our time of worship. And Lord, if there is someone here today that has just felt overwhelmed, please remind them all they have to do is say, God, save me. Jesus, come to me. Save me. I'm drowning here. And you will. And I pray you give deliverance to people today that are are just clouded with so much despair. The waves have gotten too much for them, and they realize this morning they need to reach out to you. Maybe there's someone in here today that has just made a shambles of their lives because they've tried to control their own lives, and it has ended up as into a disaster. Maybe today is the day where they cry out and say, Jesus, save me. And you will. If there's one person here today, Father God, that wants to know you as their Savior and Lord and wants to be rescued from the storm that they are in, the storm of sin and doubt and 